Hello everyone, and today we are going to be breaking down the walls of American fiction. Hi, I'm Joshua Nelson. I am, well I started out as an actor for a long time and then I became a very independent filmmaker and now I'm a professional acting teacher, but my whole life I've been obsessed with film. And I am Jagger Nelson, hopeful future film director slash film student. A uh, previous co-host of the Average Film Enjoyer podcast, and now I'm happy to be here talking about film with you and all of you. So Jagger's my son, and I think it's an interesting dynamic because we both like some of the same things, and then we both have very different tastes at the same time, but also the age gap, the totally different generations, I think it's interesting for different perspectives. I totally agree. And I feel as though this is a great way to start our podcast, not only because we are entering award season and this is a film with a lot of buzz behind it. This is a film that, upon going to see in theaters, is a film that appeals to a lot of different generations. Um, and I feel like it's going to be an interesting one to talk about. So, to start this off, American Fiction is a 2023 commentary uh, satire, comedic drama, whatever you will call it. Uh, for the sake of all intents and purposes, we are be going we are going to be calling it a satirical dramedy. Um, and on that note, I feel as though I would like to start my first conversation here. My first conversation being the marketing behind this movie that has left me quite confused. Now, uh, to sort of explain what it is that I'm talking about, I will start the episode off by playing an ad for you that I heard being displayed on the internet about this movie. And to start conversation, I will play this ad for you now. Critics and audiences agree. People want to love you, Monk. You should let them love all of you. American fiction is the best picture of the year. Yes! It's scathing, sharp, and outrageously funny. White people on the Hamptons will delight in it. We will. They, it's going to be huge. It's the best performance of Jeffrey Wright's career. You said that, not me. It's the best and boldest American comedy in years, and nothing short of brilliant. All successful writers are tormented by their families. You look sad. Okay. American fiction. We did are. Now. Where do you hear drama? Okay, so, <laughs> yes, it, it is presented as <clears throat> seemingly just a comedy. Um, but the fact that it's so much more is actually a plus. It's a very heartwarming film. Um, it was, don't get me wrong, I laughed a lot. It is very, very funny. But it, it, there's also moments that are very sad. There's moments that are very poignant. It makes you think. So... Sometimes things are misleading and you go and you're disappointed. I wouldn't say that you could be disappointed from this, even though it's not a full-out comedy. I completely agree. And I think that this is something that has always been an issue when it comes to marketing film, uh, especially more recently with things like the Mean Girls musical uh, that are being marketed as just a remake of Mean Girls when it is a musical in and of itself. Um, and I think that not displaying the drama, it may be a better move for marketing because a lot more people will want to see a comedy, especially on the subject matter of the film, which we'll get into later. Um, I think if you put drama on that name, though, 
it will lead to a lot less clapback for not including it. Um, and I think that I've seen online people say this is a lot more dramatic and the trailer made it out to be a lot more funny. And I think that that didn't bother me per se, but I could see it being something that does spark a little bit of anger in some people. If you're just going to laugh, yeah. like you're depressed and you just want to laugh, it may it may not fully <laughs> scratch that itch because there are very dramatic moments and, and some sad moments. Um, but unfortunately, that's also what makes it a better film. Yes, and I will use that as a segue into my next statement, that the dramatic chops of this movie are some of the best parts of the film. I think that... Uh, to go down the cast list a touch, Jeffrey Wright gave an incredible performance. Um, you might know Jeffrey Wright from Asteroid City, Hunger Games, The Batman, some of the newer um, James Bond movies. Uh, he gave an incredible, incredible performance in this movie. His performance was incredibly subtle at points, um, and in, at other points, very heartfelt, uh, very hurt, which that is a huge compliment for an actor. Uh, to say that someone was able to s display a feeling of emotion, and we saw it in Zac Efron's performance at Iron Claw this year, that people really connect with hurt characters. They connect with characters that are feeling loss, feeling pain. Um, and I think that Jeffrey Wright portrays that incredibly. Um, and he portrays it great, through his connection at the beginning of the movie with Tracy Ellis, Tracy Ellis Ross's character, Lisa, being his sister, someone that he's very, very connected to. They have a fantastic on-screen chemistry that makes them both instantaneously likable and relatable. And you, what I love more than anything is when you're watching a film and you forget you're watching actors. You really feel like you're watching real people because that's, that's what an actor's job is, um, to remove the illusion that they're performing. And they're so good together and so believable and natural and it just takes you immediately into their world um, and that's a great compliment for them. Yeah, and that feeling of real is something that by uh, spoilers for the rest of this episode about American fiction. Um, Don't give too many spoilers. I know, but just to talk about the movie to its entirety, there needs to be some form of spoiler warning. Um, by the end of the film, you see that it is a very, very self-reflective piece that ends up being his final book, final story that he tells in this film. Um, the amount of times that they say real and raw when talking about his my pathology book, uh, you notice that by the end of it, all of the events that had happened that built up to that final, this being his story, um, feel very real. And that's where you notice why all of these words are used in his way and in a brilliant wraparound ending, in his way of almost, I don't know how to put it into words, um, all of the times that real and raw are used are almost as a foreshadowing of the fact that that real raw feeling is built up in his actual story. There it is. <laughs> it's a it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful arc that um, 
that Jeffrey Wright has here with this character of Monk. And it and when Jagger earlier said it was subtle, it it is. And some performances people they're they're very emotional or they're very over the top, they're huge and people notice them. But you can be just as good by keeping things in, keeping the feelings there but not expressing them, the way people do in real life very often. But the audience can still see it and still feel it. And that's what he does so well. And he does go on this journey and, and, and you go on it with him. Uh, the whole film is primarily, the, I think the core of the film is about being who you are instead of being trapped behind lies, trapped behind a facade, a mask. And that, that storyline comes up throughout the whole film of hiding behind something else, um, being able to express who you really are. And he, yeah, in a really nice in-the-pocket way, when I say in the pocket, I mean it's very powerful, but it's not so obvious and in your face. He pulls that off, and it, it, really, it, it really makes for a wonderful performance, which is what makes the film so good. And he clicks with a lot of the other actors. And if you go down the line, Eric Alexander, who played Coraline, you know her from Get Out, I See You, Deja Vu with Denzel. Um, with her, as soon as the two of them go on screen, they meld together in a great way. Um, say I go down to um, John Ortiz, Arthur, their publisher. Uh, he, you might know him from Silver Linings Playbook, The Fallout, Kong Skull Island, Ad Astra, Fast and Furious, Steve Jobs, huge, huge guy. Whenever they're on screen together, um, and especially in those moments when they're making phone calls to people and he's doing the character persona that he had built up for himself, they are really funny together, the way that they sort of bounce off each other's great. Um, in that scene where he's with Wiley, Adam Brody, you know him from, I don't know, Promising Young Woman, Jennifer's Body, the Scream movies, The Ring, any of that. Um, in that scene where it ends with him running out, when they're sitting there together, their conversation is, it's really, really well performed and really funny. And I feel like that brings us into Cord Jefferson, uh, the writer-director of this film. Um, this is an adapted screenplay. Uh, this is his debut as well, which I think is really, really impressive Very for the impressive. way that this is written. Yeah. It is, I was left in a sense that I was stunned, too stunned to speak. I thought that the script here was staggering. I think that the directing was incredible. Um, but I would also like to bring up how important it was to have this directed by a person of color. Being that this was an adapted screenplay, it was based on a book, anyone could have wrote this. And I think the fact that he did and spoke from experience, and we can't really speak on that because we are not people of color, having him be someone who is and be able to speak from that experience really only enhanced this film. And I think that had this been done any other way, it could have fallen down a sort of loophole of, I know I talked about it previously with the help, that you do sort of see that there are things that aren't explained as well and feel like they're just sort of, it's almost, they beat around the bush with things. 
and I don't think they do that here, and I think that it's done in a very, very funny and very sensible manner, that when I went to the theater, everyone in the theater was primarily that I saw white, and all of them, young, old, everyone was having a great time. So it was done in a way that is able to appeal to all audiences and show them two sides of a story, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, Christina Dunlap, cinematographer, also was the cinematographer on Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Um, really, really good job in this movie. There were a lot of shots that were really, really cool. I think that when they were talking about the ending to his movie, and he was talking to Wiley, and they did that thing where it brought it up and showed a wide of the whole town, and you're still able to see them with the one open door. Really liked that. Uh, composer, uh, Laura Cartman. Also did the music for The Marvels, The Sandlot 2, and the Carrie 2002 remake. Not the best track record, but I think that the score on this one was really good. Quite memorable, fit the movie quite well. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything to say about any of those? The score was very smooth. It helped everything transition very <laughs> nicely. You know, the, the, the film has several different takes on the African-American voice um, from... A perspective of of those African Americans that 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 were sort of upper class, because in his family there are two doctors and he's a an, an accomplished writer, and then they talk about it from point of view of those in the ghetto and those who are more street thug, and the film is smart enough to not take itself too seriously at times, and then to take itself very seriously at times, and it 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 lends itself to different aspects of race and then it pulls away from race he even says at one point he says i i don't even believe in race mm -hmm. so it's it's an interesting take on all of that without it being shoved down your throat as some films may tend to do mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and i think it's very very smart about the way it handles all of it and i really really respect that um, I gave this film three and a half stars, as I believe that while it was flawed, it was a movie that I thought was really, really good. Um, three and a half is sort of reflective of that. Uh, what'd you give this one? I gave it four stars um, because, for one, two hours went by very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's always a good thing in films nowadays when you're constantly sometimes saying, God, how long is this? Um, I think... And just speak briefly to performance because I sometimes think people don't realize just how important performances are to a film and how important actors are to a film. If you don't relate to them, if you don't believe them, if, if anything happens that pulls you out, you can't enjoy the film. So you can have extraordinary cinematography and a $50 million budget and if you don't have the right performances, nothing matters. And this was really a phenomenal ensemble cast. Yes. Um, Sterling K. Brown, who uh, most people know from This Is Us, mm -hmm. was great. It was a supporting role, and it was different from the type of roles he does, and very strong. Um, very different type of character from Jeffrey Wright, as he should have been, because as they played brothers, they were it couldn't have been on different, more different ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But when you have a cast that is very, very good, what happens is right away you care about them. Yes. And 
you know that because if something tragic or sad or wrong, you know, happens to someone in the cast, are you just observing it or are you feeling it? Because if you feel it, they've brought you in. And once they bring you in, that's a movie's job. You know, you have to be, you have to be invested in a film. And whether you love characters or hate them because of their character, then it works. If you don't really care, well, then the actors aren't doing that great of a job. You have to care about them. Even if you hate them. Like, not their acting, but like, they're horrible people, the character's a villain. That's still fine. Love or hate is fine. But to not care is, I think that's the worst thing that you can do to a film. Because if you don't care about the people, you don't care about the movie. And what this really nice ensemble did was everyone in it was was solid. And they gave a very truthful, honest performance. And when they were funny, they were very funny. And when it was heartfelt, it was very heartfelt. And you believed them and you cared about them. Yes. And that, even if the movie's not great, it makes you care more. It makes you like the film more. Yeah. You know? And I've had movies where I didn't care about any of the actors. Like, say, for example, Baby Driver. I could not have cared less about any of those characters. I thought that it was very, very hollow. But then for a movie like this, how long in? Like, 20 minutes in, mm -hmm. Lisa dies, right? Yeah, you really need to give better spoiler alerts because not everyone has seen American fiction. It's not I, that prominently out. I made a spoiler alert already. Go on. That's like 20 minutes in, right? I know, but some people haven't seen it and they watch this, a podcast about a movie to see if they want to watch the movie. My bad. Go on. Uh, 20 minutes in, tragedy happens. Uh, once that tragedy happens, right... It is something that makes the rest of the story propel. And having had that tragedy happen, I'm speaking from myself and presumably others. I already, 20 minutes in, cared about the characters so much that I myself started to tear up a little bit. Right. That is brilliance. Right. I feel like that is proof that a movie is very, very good that the acting performances got you there that fast, the right. writing got you there that fast. They were lovable, lovable characters. Yeah. To talk about lovable characters in this movie, though, you can't help but bring up, uh, not even going to try with that name, Lorraine, who you may know her actress from The Big Sick, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Her character was so constantly lovable through the whole movie that within a matter of seconds, they could go from unnamed tragedies to a scene with her, and automatically, you're right back there. You're right back to a point of sort of the happiness that this movie sometimes brings. Uh, she often made me laugh, uh, and I think that a character who can do that, known as typically the comic relief... And she's not always comic relief. Sometimes she's just relief from a harsh moment. And I think that having a movie like this, that in its two-hour runtime, has characters that are 
representative of the emotions that they bring you through. There are characters that exclusive that are exclusively there to make you laugh, characters that are exclusively there to make you smile, and characters that are almost exclusively put in at times to accentuate the sadness that goes on. Um, to not name anything, because now I'm sort of getting... But wait, let me, before you, before oh, you, let's, let's yeah. go back to this character of Lorraine, who's like their maid, their housekeeper. Yes. So, it's a, it's a decent sized role, it's not a lead by any, by any means, I don't even mm-hmm. know that it would be considered for like a supporting award, mm-hmm. but it is so important, because you remember her, and you, you, she's such an integral part of how you feel about the film, because of what you feel about her. So... This is why many actors always want a big role, and some actors don't like small roles. And there's an old adage where they say, there are no small roles, only small actors. And there's a lot of truth to that. You can have a tiny, if there are actors watching this, perhaps, you can have a tiny role in something and be memorable. You can have a couple (laughs) of lines and be memorable. You can have a part that is technically overshadowed by people who have much bigger roles, but you're still vital to that film or that TV show or that play. You are still important. You are still necessary. Use the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle, okay? Mm -hmm. Take a thousand pieces. You take one piece. What is one piece out of a thousand? Nothing. But without that one piece, that puzzle's incomplete. That puzzle doesn't look right. That puzzle's not done. So... Every small role, if done well, is a wonderful addition to the film. A film is a family. A film is a living entity. And no part of it should be flawed. And that is so vital to have all the actors doing a good job. I could not have said it any better myself. And I think that... If any of these characters would fit with what you just said, Lorraine is that character. Sure. She really, in her moments being there, if she had not been there, I would not have said that this could have been the movie that it was. And I think that that is, again, further proof that the performances in this movie really are incredible. And to bring it over to another person... I'm going to bring it over to Leslie Uggams? Leslie Uggams. Yeah, Leslie Uggams. Agnes, you may know her from the Deadpool movies. Uh, she plays Agnes, the mom. She brought laughter, heartbreak. She brought a lot to this movie. And her, this actress, Leslie Uggams, was not messing around. She really, like, when she went there, she went there, and I respect that. There are moments you like her. There are moments you dislike her. Not the actress, the character. Mm -hmm. And what makes that real is that, you know, I always tell people, actors are trying to make make believe characters real characters. Well, that's a family. That's a person. That's life. There are people who, some days you like them, some days you hate them. Mm -hmm. And... That's reality. And they brought that in nicely. Really smart job with casting because you sometimes it's about more than talent. Sometimes there's likability. Sometimes there's a character you have to like. Sometimes there's a character you have to dislike immediately. And it's not always about talent. There's those certain extra things. 
And yeah, she did a great job in this film. And there are moments you're like, oh, she's so funny. And there are moments you feel bad for her. And there are moments you're like, wow, like you really don't like her. <laughs> and that's truth. And this movie really at its core is about truth and, and not, no masks, no lies. It's about living honestly. It's a recurring theme about truth and honesty. And sometimes in life it's hard. And that's the way it, it's reflected. That sometimes in life it's hard, dare I say, difficult to be fully honest, to be real, to be who you are. Yeah, and I would also like to go there really quick. I think I respect a movie that can be seen on more than one level. Um, to bring in a more like recent example, um, I mm, I'm trying to think of something. You can probably think of something in a minute. I'll go Inland Empire, right? Or I'll go Mulholland Drive. Any movie on Lynch's filmography can be seen on more than one level. You can see it on face value. Sometimes with a movie like Inland Empire, face value will be atrocious. But the further you know about digesting film as an art, as a medium, you're able to see past that level and see deeper meanings. I would like to say you and I are at a level where we can understand film past its face value levels. Um, and you're still able to see a film at face value. I think at face value, this is an incredible dramedy. But past face value, on the deeper end of the iceberg, you will notice that this is a film about acceptance. This is a film about reality. This is a film about speaking your truth. This is a film about self-acceptance, which can sometimes be as difficult as having others accept you. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that is not only masterfully portrayed in this film, I think that they portray it, and I've seen other films that try to do that concept, I think that this movie portrays it in a way that is better than a vast majority of the other films that I have seen attempt to do it. I think that the way that they take self-acceptance and put it through its comedy, put it through its drama, they use other people accepting him and his ability to accept himself after realizing the way that people accept him through his earlier works in writing. I think that the way that they portray it through literature, portray it through race, portray it through all of the ways that you will see it in the real world, I think that, that is, honestly, I'd go as far as to call it beautiful. As you will see things like art, and you will see things like race as ways that people will have to struggle with acceptance of themselves and acceptance of others. And I think that the way that they use it in this film is great. So here's the thing about a podcast about film or <clears throat> any type of media that where you're doing film discussions. Yes. There's, you know, there's nobody right or wrong. It's the most asinine thing to be like, tell somebody their opinion's wrong. Although we do. We feel it. If you love a movie and someone doesn't like it, you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? What do you mean you don't like it? Or if you hate something and someone loves it, you're like, what are you, stupid? So that's an inherent natural thing. But you can't judge art. Yeah. Because for every movie, TV show, play, band, p 
piece of artwork, there are going to be people who love it. They're going to be people who hate it. They're going to be people who are kind of eh, so-so about it. No one's wrong. Mm -hmm. So there is no saying, I know what's best. There's just you giving an opinion of what you think. Sometimes you love a movie because it's beautifully made. Sometimes a movie's really low budget, but it appeals to you. You just love how fun it is or how funny it is or how horrifically gross it is. <laughs> and sometimes there are films that you love everything about them because they're shot well, they're directed well, they're acted well. Um, so there's, there is no right or wrong in, 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 in reviewing film, but there is a love of talking about it because yes. movie people love talking about movies and you can have a difference of opinion and you can see something two different ways and you can think a performer was good or not and you can get a different meaning than someone else and that's what's great that's what's amazing about movies in general they're these living breathing works of art that last forever that different people have different feelings on and that's i think that's amazing the same with a song yeah, and we, we'll go to notice that the further we go into this podcast. We'll notice that opinions are things that vary. I could name five examples right now, and I won't, but I can name five examples right now of movies that I love and he thinks are despicable. Movies that he loves and I think are despicable. I don't know about despicable. You just don't agree. Yeah, I find... Despicables are, you know... It's a rough sure. word, but when we get to Chunking Express, we'll get there. And <laughs> when you talk about something like art, you are going to get vastly different opinions on every side of the spectrum. And I love that. Like I said, and I brought him up before, um, David Lynch, his movies are very, very polarizing. Two people will likely not watch a David Lynch movie and have the exact same way of digesting it. And... I love that. I but love a movie. That, that actually comes back around to what this is. Yeah. This this film is presenting things in a way where some people love something and then some people hate it. And and the the divergency of that. And sometimes it's the person who created it hates his own work, thinks it's horrible, and other people love it. He didn't even understand that. So there's there's more than just the 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 tip of the iceberg, as you said, social commentary here about and very the film is basically about a very educated, um, highly respectable author who writes very advanced literature mm -hmm. who can't sell his books. Nobody wants his books. But when he writes something from the point of view of like a, you know, a, a gangster thug with horrific grammar and, and horrible language and violence, everybody wants it. So the satire is based in that, but there are much deeper levels to it, which yeah. is what also makes the film much richer, much better. It's, it's a film that when I left, I just felt so good about. Like, that's a really, they should be so proud to have made that. Everyone in that film should be so proud to have been in it. Um, it's a, it's a really, really just an awesome movie. And I think once award season comes around, anyone that was in that movie that is taking it for granted now will be very thankful because I can say with 100% certainty, this is a movie that will come around during award season. 
for one reason or another, whether it be acting, whether it be cinematography, whether it be score, dare I say, I think that there are movies that are guaranteed to beat this movie out. It is not the best movie of the year. However, I do think that this is a movie that should get recognition at the Oscars because it is quite exceptional on a lot of grounds. If it won Best Film, which I don't think it will, but if it did, I wouldn't be upset. No. If Jeffrey Wright won Best Actor, I'd be totally fine with that because, you know, Best Actor, I mean, unless you have five different people playing the same role and you can watch five different people, that it's hard to judge Best Actor. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, you know, put Emma Stone versus anyone else because the role was so different. So it's such perspective. Yeah. But there are some people, if they win, you're like, what? Are you kidding? If Jeffrey Wright won, if American Fiction won, I'd be absolutely fine with it. In I'd, any category. I'd be beyond fine with it. And like you said, um, you cannot take... Is there anyone in here that could be considered a lead actress? Um... No, no, they would all basically be considered supporting roles, but they were all very strong. Yeah, and to say one of them would be lead actress, for example, I will take Coraline. She's probably the most prominent female role in this movie. Mm -hmm. To take her character and put it up against who are people that could, probably wouldn't be nominated, but still for polar opposites. Say you take Erica Alexander for Coraline, and you put her up against Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, and you put her up against Mia Goth in Infinity Pool, up against Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, and then you take another supporting actress, Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. Infinity Pool? Yeah, I know Infinity Pool. It won't be nominated, but it's a very, very different movie. And you take all of those people. How can you compare Sandra Huller and Mia Goth? You can't. And that's what makes, that's the only thing that the Golden Globes have going for it. And even though they oftentimes do not sort into the right categories, May, December, Anatomy, or May, December, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind going into the comedy musical section. It's weird. But the only thing they have going for them is having them sorted into different categories makes it a little more fair. Because putting... Emily Blunt up against Divine Joy Randolph. They're great performances for completely different reasons. Yeah, but that's what the awards are. That's what they've always been. That's what the awards are. That's what they've always been. And I think that for that, you can't say someone is the best because the critics will likely give you a different answer. But you can say who you give props to. And I give incredible props to Jeffrey Wright. And mm-hmm. every single person I have written down on this cast list gave an incredible performance. Yeah. One thing that's great about the SAG Awards is that they do best ensemble. Because SAG Awards is strictly for acting. They don't have really anything about production or cinematography or mm-hmm. directing. It's just about acting and stunts. Yeah. Um, but this is the type of film that I could totally see a nod for best, best ensemble cast. Because there's no weak link. There's not. And if I go to people that were in the movie for five minutes or less, think about at the beginning of the movie. You remember Brittany for the opening scene of the movie? Yes. yes. That was a funny performance. That was a memorable performance. She was in the movie for how long? 45 seconds. And he remembers her. Right. Take Patrick Fischler, the guy from Mulholland Drive, and I was pointing him out to you. Mm -hmm. He, you remember him. And he was in the movie for how long? Right. Three minutes? Right. 
no bad performances in this movie. And were there other movies where there were no bad performances? Yeah, take Poor Things. There was no bad performances. Anatomy of a Fall, no bad performances. But do I think that every performance in this movie was exceptional and memorable, down to the people that were in the movie for 45 seconds? I'd say yes. And I think that that is great. Agreed. Um, to bring anything else up about this movie... Uh, I would like to give props to the poster, if I may. I think that as the only poster available for this movie, it's quite funny. I mean, you have the outline of the thug thing over him, like, sort of adjusting his tie, but making it look like the whole gangster thing. I think that that's funny. And I like when a movie has a good poster and you don't start, like, looking at the other posters available online. When a movie has a good poster, that's great. Clockwork Orange poster. You could probably think it up in your head if you know the movie. It's an interesting poster that's memorable. And this is what I think of when I think about American fiction. And I really, really respect that. Do you have any other things you'd like to bring up? About Clockwork Orange poster? No, not really. <laughs> um, all in all, um, as Siskel and Ebert would say, two thumbs up. It's highly recommended. Great film. Um... It's not like a film that's for African Americans. Yeah. It, it, it's really a film that should be for anyone because it relates, it goes much deeper than race. It goes to people and people's insecurities and people's fears. And that's what the film's really about. But they do it in a really fun way. And um, yeah, just very highly recommended. It is a brilliant, multi layered film that I have a lot of respect for. All right, we thank you all very, very much for tuning in today. Thank you so much. To the Fourth Wall Film Talk. We hope to see you again this Friday to talk about Anatomy of a Fall on a deeper level. Uh, we recommend you go check that out before the episode so that our spoiler warning actually means something. Stop doing spoilers. Come on. It's on, it's on digital now. Good night. Thank you. Thank you all very much.